Guys, it's good to see you this morning. Here's the idea I want us to start out with. Just because we affirm an idea doesn't mean we're actually going to act on the idea. For example, probably all of us in this room would agree that if you want to be a good steward of the life that God gives you, if you want to make sure that you can do what God has made you to do for as long as he's made you to do it, the best you can do it, we would probably all agree we need to do simple things like pretty decent diet, exercise, and between seven and eight hours of sleep. We would probably all agree with that idea in general. And yet our actions might look kind of like this. Man, that half gallon of cookies and cream ice cream in the freezer, it looks really, really good. And it's especially looking good when the kids are in bed because I don't have to share it. And you know what would go really good with cookies and cream ice cream? The bag of barbecue chips in the pantry. And I know I said I would go to the gym and work out, but man, that couch is really, really comfortable. And I know I said I would go to bed at nine o'clock and get eight hours of sleep and wake up more in the morning at five to read my Bible but Netflix just released my favorite 90s sitcom. And I can binge watch it for hours and hours and hours, and I meant to go to bed early, but I look up and it's 1.30, and now I've got to go to bed late, and I feel like crap in the morning. I'll hit the snooze button about 30 times. I won't get up to read my Bible. I won't make it to the gym. We affirm the idea that diet, rest, exercise, but our actions don't actually center around that idea. And that same thing can actually be a tension or even a danger for the church. Because we might say something like, well, we believe that we as a church are called to fulfill what's called the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We might even put language to it as a church that says, we exist to give everyone opportunities to follow Jesus and become disciple makers who live for God and love all people and lead others to do the same. We might even say that, man, we believe we're called to make Jesus accessible to people, that we're called to pursue the one lost sheep. We might even say things like, man, we're a family where you can belong before you believe. We might say a lot of things that intellectually affirm the idea of what we're called to do as a church. And yet at the same time, we might actually live a life that actually creates walls and barriers to us actually making progress in doing what God has called us to do as a church. And here's functionally how we do that. Um, how many of y'all have a, a smartphone? Pull it out, pull it out, pull it out. If you have an iPhone, raise your hand real quick. You have an iPhone. Now, I'm not going to comment on what phone I think Jesus would use because I think that might be a little disrespectful to assume to know the mind of God. But I do believe that if Jesus was assigning a phone for his 12 disciples to use, it would have been an iPhone because when you have somebody with a godless droid or a godless Samsung, 
you can't send group chats, right? You can't send group text messages. You get the little red thing that says not delivered. So I'm just saying, if you're really godly, you might use an iPhone. It makes life better for the people around you. But moving on. There's a little icon here on your iPhone, or I don't know what Samsungs or Droids or whatever, or Galaxies or Pixels or whatever had. But on iPhone, you have this little icon that's a little, a little uh, moon button. It says, do not disturb. Now, how many of y'all being fully transparent this morning, you love the do not disturb app on your phone. You love do not disturb. I'll be, look, uh, you mean the rest of y'all love getting endless spam calls and endless, I love do not disturb. You know why? Because if I'm in the middle of something, I can put that on and I'm not bothered. Some of y'all are like, somebody other than me actually feels that way. But I like do not disturb. Do not disturb can be really useful. Um, if I'm on a date with my wife, I don't bring my phone anyway. But if I did, I could put it on do not disturb and only let the babysitter be able to get through. If I'm working something and I've got to be like laser focused, I can just make myself inaccessible in the moment. Even if you use this as an alarm clock, you can make yourself on do not disturb while you sleep which can be really good if you have a boss that might send text messages at three o'clock in the morning. So do not disturb can be a great feature on a phone. It makes us inaccessible at times. We just don't want to be available. But I think sometimes the way we end up affirming the mission of God in our words but living in a way that actually creates barriers to the mission of God being fulfilled in and through our lives is functionally, we use do not disturb on both God and people. Do not disturb can be great if you're trying to get a job done, but when do not disturb is our spiritual posture towards God and our relational posture towards other people, then this is what happens. This is what happens. We create big old wall. Big old wall. And because I choose to be relationally inaccessible to people, guess what you can't do now? You can't get to me. But I can't get to you either. And that becomes a big problem when we're called to be a church that is for the one that is called to reach people. And when my posture is like this towards God, God can't talk to me, but neither can I hear from God. I create barriers to hearing God's direction and barriers to hearing what God wants me to do next. And I just wonder this morning... If perhaps we've, as people, set those up towards God and others, are we spiritually unavailable to God and relationally inaccessible to other people, and thus we've created walls that make us ineffective in fulfilling the mission of God? So what I want to do this morning is evaluate how do we tear down those walls? How do we make sure that what we say we believe, what we affirm in the sense of, man, what we're called to do as Christians, what we're called to do as a church, 
and we make sure that actually aligns with our actions. There will be several ideas this morning. You can jot them down in your notes. We've actually created a handout that like bullet points those, so it's fill in the blank, which I think is kind of fun. Um, so maybe you don't, but maybe it'll help you out. The first idea, the first thing that has to happen for us to be aligned with what we say we affirm is we have to embrace authentic transparency. Here's what I mean by authentic transparency. When you enter a gathering of the church and somebody asks you, how are you doing? What is your typical response? I feel great. I'm fine. I'm good. Even though my marriage is falling apart, even though I just got laid off and we're drowning in debt and I have no idea how we're going to make ends meet. Even though a beloved relative just received a terminal diagnosis and I am broken with grief. Even though we desperately want a child and we can't seem to be able to conceive. Even though I'm struggling with anxiety or depression or addiction. I'm actually broken and a wreck inside and my life is falling apart, but I'm good. Now y'all, here's, here's why this creates a problem in, in the sense of the church fulfilling the mission of God. We said last week that as a church, man, we will always be a family where people can belong with us before they believe or behave like us. And that sounds great. But one thing that is guaranteed to get in the way of that and be a wall is when we say, when we're asked, how are we doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'll let you see my handshake. I'll let you see my smile, but I will not let you see my scars. And the reason that creates a barrier in us fulfilling the mission of God is because when the one comes in here and all they see is this wall, all they see is the face of perfection, the face of everybody that's got it all together. First off, when, they, when this is between me and you, what, 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 what happens? There's distance, right? Like it feels really weird for me to be talking to y'all from behind this, right? Because it just feels like there's something between us, right? It's because there is. And when the one feels that and they sense that distance, that creates a barrier. But also the truth is this. When we put this whole I'm fine thing up, it actually ruins our credibility. Because the one comes in broken, the one comes in hurting, the one comes in feeling like, man, I'm desperate for some help. And when we say, well, man, you can belong here before you believe or behave like us, but all they ever hear is perfection and all they ever hear is we're good and all they ever hear is fine, then they're like, well, man, I'd love to believe that there's hope in Jesus, but it doesn't sound to me like you've ever had to call on it. And so if we're going to be effective in being aligned with the mission of God and actually living out what we say we affirm, then, man, we got to get rid of the wall of I'm good. we got to get rid of the wall of I'm fine, and we have to embrace authentic transparency. What does authentic transparency like? There's a story in the life of Jesus, Mark chapter 5. It goes like this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat 
To the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, let's, let's pause there. The Jewish religious leaders in that day and time were not fans of Jesus. So they wouldn't really go to Jesus to ask him for help on things. But not only that, the Jewish religious leaders were always put together. They always had their act straight. They were always dignified. And yet, check this out. It says one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Jairus had a one in his life, and it was his daughter. And there are moments that God will allow into our life to create a sense of desperation. And Jairus is so desperate that he cannot stand and just be like, Jesus, would you please come to my house? I have a mild need for you to meet. No, guys, he runs to Jesus. He gets on his knees and he says, Jesus, I need help. My little daughter is dying. And I don't know if you've ever had a child really sick. Like I remember when Kaysen was just a year, over a year old, he got RSV. His fever went from 99 to 103 in like an hour. And I can tell you, man, as a dad, I was desperate because that freaked me out. Jairus loses any pretense, any sense of dignity, any idea of, hey, everything is okay. And he's like, no, I'm desperate. My daughter is dying. And he does this in front of the Son of God. Let me ask you this this morning. God's going to call us to be transparent with other people, and we'll get there in a second. But how transparent are you when you come before Jesus? Are you honest about, hey, Jesus, man, I'm struggling right now. I know you've made promises to provide. I know you've made promises to, to get me through the valley of the shadow of death. But man, yeah, I'm just not feeling it right now. Are you transparent with Jesus? Or when you come before God in prayer, do you kind of clean it up a little bit? Or are you just straight with him? Because see what so often happens is we'll come before God in prayer and we'll tidy it up. Which is ridiculous really because those things that you're thinking before you get before God in prayer, God already knows what you're thinking. He already knows what's going through your mind. So instead of trying to maintain a sense of dignity, a sense of respect or whatever, what Jesus calls us to is, man, don't stand, don't act like you've got it all together. Get on your knees and get authentically transparent with Jesus. Because that's where you'll actually start to find the grace of God ministering in your life. And it's not just before Jesus that he calls us to get transparent. He's actually given us a family to practice it, which leads me to this. Authentic transparency happens in community. It, in fact, I will say this. It will only happen in community. What community specifically? The family of God. The family of God. We see Jairus get really transparent in front of Jesus, and we honestly can't know whether or not he didn't pull Jesus aside first or if he did this in front of a crowd. But the next part of the story, 
Jesus makes it very unmistakable that transparency is meant to happen in community with people. Check this out. Verse 25 says, um, a woman had, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This is, so, this is a problem for her in multiple ways, but primarily this, because she had been bleeding for 12 years, she was ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. She could not go to the temple to sacrifice to God, and she was ritually, socially unclean. She could not be touched by other people. She was a social outcast. 12 years of pain and loneliness and suffering. And it says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Then watch this. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. What, what is he doing? He's waiting and inviting this woman to step out of isolation, step out of secrecy, and step into community. To be transparent in front of other people. And watch what happens next, verse 33. It says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And by the way, he's in the middle of a crowd here. Everybody else would have heard it, but watch what he says next. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Don't miss this, folks. Jesus will work deeply in your heart when it's just you and him. But man, if you want to walk in the full level of freedom that Jesus provides, you got to get in relationship with other people. In fact, I would even dare say that maybe, just maybe, you're here today and man, Jesus has worked in your heart. He's worked in your soul. But maybe, just maybe, something seems like it's missing. Something seems like it's lacking. Could it be possibly that the thing that's lacking is the experience of authentic transparency in Christian community. Because, man, Jesus will work in you on your own, but he will work in you in a much, much deeper way when you start to open yourself up to other people. And by the way, it's not just about you. Because this has tremendous implications for the mission of God, but especially when we talk about being a church for the one. Here's why it is so important for us to be authentically transparent and let the one who comes in who is broken, who's lost, who's hurting, who's struggling, no, man, I don't have it all together. Here's why, y'all. Because the one finds a home when they know it's not just me, and the one finds hope when they know our story. I know it is hard to be open. I know it is hard to be transparent. I, like, just frankly, it is not super pleasant so often. But man, when you do that for someone else, they find hope because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. They find hope when they hear, but Jesus brought me through that. And they find a home when they discover a group of people who are not interested in pretending like they have it all together, but are authentically transparent because it makes much of God's goodness. 
So I'm not going to ask y'all to do anything that, that I don't do. Anything I ask y'all to do, I'm, I'm going to go first. So let me, just, let me just give you a little snapshot of my story and some insight into my week. If you're here and, man, you're struggling with an addiction of some kind, and, man, you loathe yourself, you hate yourself for it. I know exactly what that's like because I've been there too. And I can also tell you God got me through it. Delivered me from it. If you're here and, man, you're either facing loss or you've suffered loss and you're grieving, I can tell you I've been there. In fact, I would even tell you that my wife and I were on a date yesterday and she'd stepped to the restroom and, and, and there was a movie on the TV and, and it just caught my eye. And there was a scene there at the very end that, that touched me and moved me to, to just a very strong level of grief. I couldn't even speak. I haven't experienced that in several years. And as over our first kid, we lost our first kid through miscarriage. I know what loss is like, and I still grieve that loss. Just this week, I have faced anxiety like I haven't felt in years. I have faced discouragement. I have doubted my calling. I have had questions for God. And if you're here and you're like, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with a pastor being honest about that. Y'all, I do not, I'm not interested in being the church that thinks their pastor is Moses coming down from the mountain because that actually doesn't work. I'd rather you know that, man, I don't have it all together. Pastors are normal people. We just sometimes have the gift of being able to talk. And it is not natural for me to be transparent. Well, like, I don't really like that. I kind of like to keep to myself, just to be real. But probably over about the last 18 months to two years, I have found so much joy and community and freedom and honestly peace in my life because I have a group of people that I can just, when I'm at like bottom, I can just say, hey, I'm struggling. Can y'all pray for me? Transparency is hard, but here's why I promise you will never, ever, ever regret being transparent because it will allow God to work deeply in your heart and soul in a way that he would not otherwise, and it will open up an avenue of ministry to the one that would never have happened if you had just kept silent about your struggles. So you might be questioning of, okay, well, well who can I be transparent with? Because the next part in the story shows us that who you have speaking into your life matters. And check, check this out. Mark uh, 535, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Then watch what they said next. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And then watch what Jesus did next. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. In other words, these folks that just came from the synagogue leader's house, he's like, y'all stay here. Y'all stay here. Jesus is very, very intentional about who he allows to come along. And then watch what happens next. It says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. These would have been paid mourners literally paid to go and wail. 
And he went and said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child's not dead but asleep because Jesus sees our problem differently. Don't make the mistake of putting a period where Jesus just puts a comma. But they laughed at him then. So, so what did Jesus do? After he put them all out, he's like, you know what? Y'all don't need to be in here either. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Here's a big point to be made from that passage of Scripture. Jesus is very intentional about who gets in the circle. And here's what needs to happen if we're going to be a church where we are authentically transparent. You and I need to be very, very intentional about who we open up to because you don't, you don't want to just open up to anyone. So who do you open up to? Well, there's a handout in your seat. There's a couple of sheets in there. We'll get to the blank one in a moment. But one has just different connect group opportunities on it. And here's, here's my challenge to every single person in the room. Find a group to be a part of because we are at our best together. And the point is not the content that you're going to go over. It is the connections that you are going to make because those connections are the things that will change your lives. In those connections, we are able to be honest with each other. We're able to bear each other's burdens. We're able to lift each other up and support each other in the struggles that we're going through. Don't pick all of them. That would be absurd. Man, pick one. Pick one and be a part of it. And you'll find out that all of us are just a work in progress here. We are not perfect people who arrived. We are imperfect people who just love Jesus and we're in the process of being changed by Jesus. And I know the pushback, and it's part of my pushback too because I'm naturally introverted and I don't mind being alone and I really don't like opening it up in front of people. It usually goes something like this. One, I ain't got time. Two, that's uncomfortable. Which leads me to the other thing we have to do, and this is both towards people, but it's actually going to start with God. We have to embrace authentic transparency, but we also have to do this if we're going to remove the walls that keep us from being aligned with the mission we affirm. It's this. We have to make ourselves available. We have to make ourselves available. My first, uh, firstborn, Kason, he's about three and a half now. He loves to play with toy trains, loves to play with trains. And so Monday is my bring my kids to work day. I bring them here. We set up shop in the nursery. I bring Kason's trains. I grab the train set that's in the pre-K room. He builds this big old thing. He has a ball. Jaden just toddles around and does whatever 18 months old do. He's fine. He's happy um, as long as he's got Sid with him. Um, if you were here last week, you'll get that. Um, but Kason will often say something to me. He'll be like, Daddy, do you want to play with my trains? And here's what I found myself doing both, both here and at the house. Yeah, in a minute, son. And then God convicted me one day that, you know what you're teaching your boy every single time you say, in a minute? And, and then there are sometimes legitimately words like, in a minute. But, but most of the time, when you communicate, in a minute, son, you know what you're communicating? You're communicating you're unavailable. And if your goal as a parent is to show my heart to your boy, he doesn't ever need to get the impression that I, his heavenly father, am unavailable.
the posture of our Heavenly Father is simply this. He's always available. And if we are going to reflect the heart of God to the world, we are called to be available to people. But it starts with being available to God. Jesus models this. Go back to verse 30. It says, this is after the woman touches him. It says that once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, imagine you're Jairus in that situation. Your response is, I don't care who touched your clothes. My daughter is dying. So power went out with you, out from you. So what? Who cares? My daughter's dying. We've got a mission. We need to keep moving. In fact, the disciples even thought it was ridiculous because they say, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. What is Jesus teaching here? He's teaching just being available. And our availability starts with us having the same posture primarily towards God. That when God puts his finger on our shoulder, or he calls us, we don't say, huh, God, ignore. Out of curiosity, how many of y'all sent a, at least one call to voicemail this week? In curiosity, curiosity, most of us, why? Because we're like, I'm in the middle of something. I don't have time for that. In fact, let me just turn on do not disturb so I don't get any more calls. But y'all, when we do that, we miss out on the opportunities God puts in front of us. So I want to give you three ideas on how you can make yourself available to God as a practice. And as you learn to make yourself available to God, he will lead you to make yourself available to people, especially the one that he puts in your life. These won't be on the screen, but you can write them down. Three ideas. The first is do your time. Are you available with your time? And very, very specifically, Connecting with Jesus every single day through his word. Because if we're in here and we're Christians, we would agree the Bible is the word of God. We need to read the Bible. And yet I would be willing to wager that the majority and maybe even the vast majority of us in this room do not have a daily habit of meeting with God in his word. I'll say this, it might be a strong statement, but I think it's true. If you are reading the Bible less than seven days out of the week, you're reading it too less, too little. I eat every single day. Why in the world would I want to go a day without putting myself in front of the living water and the bread of life that he's put in book form in his word? Why would I do that? Why would I do that? And it's not like it's hard, y'all. It's not like it's hard. If you're like, okay, I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible. Y'all, we're talking like, unless you get to Luke where there's some chapters that are like 80-some verses or Psalm 119, like you're talking probably like five minutes to sit down, put your phone away, grab a cup of coffee, and just say, okay, God, I'm available for whatever you want to teach me through your word. And if you develop a discipline of making the first part of your day available to your heavenly Father, it will start to develop in you a discipline of being more available when he starts to tap you on the shoulder when you're out and about saying, hey, 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 wait for just a moment. Be available with your time. The second is do your talent. 
your skill set. We talked about this a lot last week, but this is why we have serving opportunities here at LifeSpring. And it's not just Sunday morning related, y'all. There are other different things you can do in the context of the ministry of the local church to make yourself available. But here's what I'll say this. God has uniquely and specifically gifted each and every one of you in a powerful way that is meant to be a blessing to the local church and a blessing to our community. And my desire for you as a pastor is that you would not go through life without experiencing the thrill of knowing that I'm operating and how I'm wired for the glory of God and the good of others. We don't make ourselves available to God through our time because we're looking at being busy. We do it because he has wired us in a way that was designed to make a difference. Are you available to God with your time? Are you available to God with your talent? And third, are you available to God with your treasure? Yes, we're talking about your money. And I know for some of y'all, you're like, church is always talking about money. Let me ask you this. Have you ever complained about a restaurant asking you for your money? Have you ever gone to Walmart and been like, they want me to pay for this? You know, I can't, I, I hate going to Walmart. Every time I go to Walmart, they ask me for my money. And yet, when it comes to the ministry of the local church, we often tend to be very, very closed-fisted with our resources. And I'm not going to tell you to tithe. I'm not talking about money because we got a capital campaign starting next week. And for those of you new, we're, like we're going to talk about that a little bit because we're under contract to purchase this building. And we are then, the, but the reality is on that, like there are things that we need. I'm not going to tell you what to give. I'm not even going to tell you to give. What I am going to encourage you to do is this. Are you willing to have a posture before your heavenly father of, okay, God, every single amount of money I have it is ultimately yours to start with. And isn't that at the heart of this availability issue? Like, like we think it's my time, it's my life, it's my money, when the reality is, is no, every single moment we walk this earth is a gift from God. Any skill set, any ability we have is something God put in us and any every single penny I own, I would not have without the bountiful provision of my heavenly Father. All I'm simply asking you to do is this: <clears throat> Can you have the posture before God of, okay, God, with my time, my talent, my treasure, it's all available to you, all of it. However, you want me to use my time. However, you want me to use my talent. However, you want me to use my resources. I'm open-handed. It is all yours. Here's what will happen if you develop a posture of availability towards God. Last idea. It'll be on screen. You can write it down. Availability creates an opportunity to see God write the one's story. Because as I'm available to God and I learn to be available to others, guess what? It opens up opportunities for me to see God write the one's story. So I'll share a story. Um, 
I used to be on staff at a church in Benson called Crossroads. I was a student pastor there and, and all that. And we would always go, like, a lot of times, like, after church, or maybe Saturday night, my wife and I would go to a Mexican restaurant in town. It was called El Charo. And I'm normally a really shy guy. I don't typically step out of my comfort zone. But God had worked on me. God had convicted me. And so me and my wife started inviting uh, one of the managers there. Her name is Amy to come to church. Well, lo and behold, to my surprise one morning, she actually showed up. And about 10 months later, she gave her life to Christ. And about six months out of that, I was talking with Grace and I was like, I think we're maybe supposed to see if she wants to be on our launch team. I can't imagine her saying yes. We don't even know her that well, but it doesn't hurt to ask. And so I Facebook messaged her. I was like, hey, would you like to do this? And I was stunned when she was like, yeah, I'd be interested in doing that. And then she came to a vision night and she brought her boyfriend at the time. His name was Tony. And I got up with Tony and we went out for breakfast and that was way out of my comfort zone, but we were both athletes. And so we hit it off. And then I was like, hey, um, do you want to just like get together every week and just go through the Bible? He's like, to my surprise, he was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Tony becomes part of our launch team. Our second Sunday as a church in 2016, he gives his life to Christ. He's one of the first five people we baptized, and now Tony Davis is our kids director. You'll find him over in the elementary room this morning, and Amy is my executive assistant. What happened? God convicted me to open my mouth, to make myself available to, to, to the prompting of his Holy Spirit, and it has given me the opportunity to see God write two incredible stories. And there is someone in your life that God wants to write their story and he wants to work through you to do it. But it is going to start with you and I having a posture of, okay, God, I'm available. Whatever you want me to do with my time, with my talent, with my treasure, with other people, I'm available. And y'all, at the end of the day, this is the posture that God showed toward us through his son, Jesus Christ. Because sin, sin is like a wall. Sin separates us from God. God was inaccessible to us. And yet God in his great love for us sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life and go to a cross to die for our sins and come back to life so that through his life we could come back to God. He just simply wants us to have the same posture towards him and the same posture towards others that he has towards us.